you take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, if you haven't gotten notes yet, uh, those notes are in the back on the table and uh, should be Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15. And it should have a title that looks something like uh, that, The Sands of Time. So uh, they usually leave out the previous weeks and somebody grabs that and then gets confused and it's like, where is he at? And we have that for people that weren't able to make it the previous week. I don't know what your morning has been like so far. Uh, I usually have a routine. It has had to change recently on Sunday mornings. In one way, it was kind of nice when 9.30 was when everything started, or excuse me, 10.30 was when everything started, uh, because there was more time to just get prepared. Uh, But uh, I try and get here about 8.15, 8.30, and there are certain things I do as far as making sure the air conditioner's on and the keys uh, are there to unlock the building and uh, all the different screens are up and the lessons are printed and, and uh, everything's set up. And, you know, I came in this morning and you've got a certain set of things you know you have to do and it's 9.35 and I'm still going, I, I haven't even really started this morning and I don't feel like I've gotten anything accomplished. Time has flown. And there are certain occasions where it seems like uh, we can't keep track of the time. Uh, there was an American educator, a man by the name of Horace Mann, which in some cases there are things I disagree with him on, but uh, in this case, he once wrote this ad. And it said this, lost, yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each set with 60 diamond minutes. And then this statement, no reward is offered for they are gone forever. I think most of us uh, understand that kind of frustration where you just uh, even look at yesterday's activities and what you planned, and what you thought you were going to accomplish, and the things that you thought were going to happen, and you get to the end of the day, and you're going, those things are still sitting there that I had set my attention on to get done, and they never even got addressed, and there's other things that have happened. Life goes on like that, day in and day out. Uh, time continues to run regardless. Uh, we don't get a, a time out when it comes to time, uh, even though sporting events allows for timeouts during the game. There is no timeout in life, and, and time just rush, rushes on. And this is not something new in modern society with all of our extra things in life when it comes to uh, the doing of things and activities that go on and we've got all sorts of things that we can be involved in and go to and and we think that maybe we have uh, the pressing things that perhaps ancient cultures did not have, but ancient cultures had the same things going on in life that we did, day in, day out. And so there's this consideration as we look at Ecclesiastes, we're talking about life under the sun. Now, really, it's life under the sun with God is the way that we hopefully get out of this viewing of it. But there's a lot of people in this life that just view life under the sun. What's the here and now in this life and trying to get things done, and they begin to realize that time's fleeting. 
And for some, it's hard to believe that they crossed over uh, what we would call the half-century mark and that AARP starts sending stuff because you're now a senior citizen and then uh, it's hard to believe that you've already retired and you're going, where, where, where did life go for some of you? There were things that I looked and desired to accomplish and, and these type of things. And so there is this frustration. And as it's described in Ecclesiastes, a vexation of spirit that goes on for living life under the sun because there are things that you just look at and realize time will not allow for those things to happen. As we had from last week, uh, we kind of got to a more optimistic point in the book of Ecclesiastes. said it starts off and it is really harsh, but remember, it's designed to be, Ecclesiastes is designed really to be a track for the whole world to read. Because uh, the, the only name of God given is the name where it's talking about him being the creator. It's not the name he specifically gave to the nation of Israel to uh, show relationship with him. It's just the generic term for God. In the beginning, God. That term, uh, who created everything, this one is appealing to mankind through Solomon, who has the opportunity to try out everything under the sun. And we looked last week, a review is from mankind's perspective, life and its projects will not end in the way that you want. You get to end of chapter 2 there, it's just dealing with this, where here this person's going, well, we're all going to be equal in the end because we're going to die. And those projects we gave our life to, uh, those hobbies and things like that that we pursued... We're going to die and hand it off to somebody else who's probably, in our estimation, going to be a fool because they aren't going to know what to do with those things. can't tell you how many conversations I've had this week about collections and things that people have gathered, and they're wondering, what are we going to do with these things when that person passes away? And so from a human perspective, there's just this You know, it's not going to end the way you want. However, what Solomon gives right at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is, okay, you may have all these life projects that you think you're trying to accomplish and you're worried about things after you go on, and what you're supposed to do in verse number 24 of chapter 2, it says this, there's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. You know, it's not this idea of eat, drink, and be merry because uh, tomorrow we die. That's not the philosophy that's here. It's this, eat and drink and do what you're supposed to do as far as work because each moment is given to you by God to enjoy. And so enjoy those small moments and those regular activities. And you just think about this. We ought to, it, it harks back to the Garden of Eden. Think about what the Garden of Eden was about. Here you've got someone who's tending a garden, so there was some work, projects for them to do. There was lots of trees for, that were good to eat, and there was lots of water, and so they had everything they needed to drink and eat and to do work. You know, enjoy everything that God gives uh, to you, like eating and drinking and your work. On a daily basis, the Lord allows you to do certain things. Thank Him for it. And we ended uh, with that thought, 
And so that's the first of five passages. We're going to get to a second one here that they kind of call the seize the day moment. The carpe diem uh, idea, but the idea that every moment that God gives you, you ought to view it as something that God has given to you. Enjoy it, even though it might be difficult at times and whatever. uh, You're realizing that this is part of the experience that God has given. And so from that point, Solomon suddenly just breaks into this poetry, this poem that is there that is a famous poem uh, not because of necessarily people knowing the scripture, but from pop, pop culture uh, in the 60s, uh, people know this uh, basically sounds like a psalm, but it's a poem. In fact, it's probably the most well-crafted poem in the Old Testament, as some describe it. It's this poem of time. I just want to read through this, uh, at least to get us started here. And it simply says this, verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Time to cast away stones, time to gather stones, time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. And then this statement, the end of the poem that doesn't fit the rhyme scheme, what profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth. So if you just had that poem, that's kind of the idea that you would come up with, well, what's the profit of attempting to plan for things? As you look at this poem, I simply describe it this way. It's, it's like a weaver's shuttle going back and forth. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go some of these places where they have the, the old life demonstrations uh, of certain things that are going on, and they have uh, these massive uh, machines that are there with a hundred strings in them, and you're like, okay, this is really confusing, and, and uh, these people are working on this, uh, and they're, they're going back and forth, and they're stringing things across, and the weaver's beam is going back and forth and, and inserting this, and then you sometimes see these industrial... Uh, we had the opportunity years ago to be out in Pendleton, Oregon, and uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the company uh, that is out there. It's Pendleton Clothing is the one that is known for its flannels and the like, and they allow you to go out there and in their store where they have the cast off of uh, basically string and that type of thing, they've got all the string, and you look inside at these machines and they're just massive machines with thousands of strings in there and the machines are going back and forth and you're just kind of seeing this and all of a sudden you're seeing these strings put together into something that looks like a pattern and you're like wow this is really fantastic well that's what time is like time keeps moving and you have different things in different colors that are inserted in fact uh the poet talked about dark threads the weaver needs uh, talking about god that sometimes you know we want bright colors all the time but you need sometimes dark colors in life uh, to make it uh well a little bit more of a colorful experience 
And, and so you get that kind of thing, this back and forth uh, that goes on uh, between these different ideas. And you have a, a hint of God in this, and I, I, I put this down. You have a hint that God is in control of time. Uh, that is, God is in control of time. It's seen in 14 sets of pairs. You know, there's several people who just talk about this and going through this, that seven's the number of God. Creation, completion, you just think about Revelation, all these numbers point to God and his uh, completing things. In this case, you have it doubly over. 14 sets uh, of this. And for us to just kind of go, at times, time thinks, or time seems to be uh, something that's completely random. No, that there's an order to this. And it's not just uh, merely human order putting things into place. No, it's God is behind all of this. It's not merely uh, an adventure, an accident, like uh, some would suggest that the world and the the universe started by a series of accidents. No, uh, every event in human history has been part of God's plan and organization. What you see in this poem, and you're going to get a little bit of grammar here, uh, and hopefully I say this right, each line is a mirrorism. You go, what's a mirrorism? Well, it's two extremes in the line. Uh, the two extremes in the line include everything in between. So we have, you know, a time to war, time for peace, okay? So what it's talking about is it's not just times of war and times of peace. It's everything in between. We say in our culture, young and old. So that just means, okay, we're dealing with young and old people, and those people are middle-aged, too bad. You know, we don't include you in this group. No, we understand. If we're talking about young and old, we're talking about everyone. Because you take the two extremes, and you take the two extremes, and everyone just kind of realizes, okay, we're including everything that may go on in between. And that's what you have going on in this poem is that you have uh, these 14 sets that are giving us one extreme and another extreme, and it's including everything in between, not just merely talking about uh, those two major events that go on there. And so you look at this and you kind of go, and I'm not going to, to deal with this. Now, some have said, is this something that is as we're reading this poem, is this something that's prescriptive rather than descriptive? What do you mean by prescriptive rather than descriptive? Uh, Is this something that we should just be planning on doing and that we have a part in deciding what happens in these certain occasions, or is this just merely descriptive of what goes on in life? And there are some that read this poem and go, this is just merely describing what goes on. Mankind has no say in what goes on. And you kind of go, well, okay, God's in control. He does whatever he wants to do. Uh, But that would make this a completely uh, pessimistic poem to simply describe it this way. Are there certain things that we just realize are going to be a part of life that we should realize are a part of life? not just merely God does this. And you kind of go, there are some things here that we just have to realize we're going to have to do in life. There is some prescriptiveness to this in the sense that you're realizing there are times where I'm going to have to tear things up even though I like building things. Uh, and some of these, I would say, you really can't decide on because they are in the hands of God. You look at the first one, the day of your birth and the day of your death. 
you really have no say in that. Uh, you may think that you do, but uh, the one who gives life is the one who ultimately uh, decides when one will be born and when one will die. So it is kind of prescriptive that we just need to realize there are going to be times where we're going to have to do certain things, and it may not be what we want to do. Now we look at all the bad things here and we go, I don't want any of those. But the fact is, is life is filled with activities like this. When you go through and you have a time to be born, time to die, I think we understand that, a time to plant. You know, there, there are certain seasons that you can plant, and there are certain seasons you don't want to plant. Okay, I'm not going to go out and, and uh, go and find uh, seeds and pour them into the ground for our flower gardens and do this in November. You go, why? Well, multiple reasons, not enough sun, not enough warmth. Uh, If they do grow, they're going to get frostbite and die. It doesn't matter. So there are certain seasons where you plant, but guess what? When we get to October, we're going through our flower garden, and I take the weed whacker to most of them because they're just, you know, these plants that grow under the annual ones, and you just take it and you chop them off right at uh, the top all the way down, and uh, you just do this because it's a time to, what, pluck up. Uh, you don't do that in the springtime, hopefully, and in the middle of summer, because that's when things should be growing. And I think we understand some of those concepts uh, that go along with this. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. You're kind of going, so God's saying, you know, it's okay for you to go around and kill people? Well, think about our history. Actually, our history's been pretty sedate on one side. Because we haven't had a lot of warfare that has included all of us that we have actually been a part of in the United States. I mean, there are far-off conflicts and that we send people to and that type of thing. But we really haven't had that occasion where we've been called upon to defend home and, and uh, life. But there are certain occasions uh, like that. I was thinking about uh, Germany, and uh, this morning was I was thinking about the Vanderhoofs and you know, you think about this, Germany went through two major wars in about 30 years' time span. And they were fairly, they were, and think about this, they were a fairly civilized culture. We sometimes think, oh, we're so civilized here in the United States, we'll never have a war. And the answer is, uh, you're, you're not thinking right. History is a back and forth of war and peace. Think about uh, the fact that uh, there was a time where we were at the war with the Japanese, and, and if you were to buy anything that was uh, a, something from Japanese culture, it was kind of horrifying. You can remember when companies like Mitsubishi and Toyota started coming to the United States, and there were people like, I will never buy that product. And you go, why? Well, because they were the ones that we fought against in World War II. And they did horrendous and horrible things. And I, I can remember this even with my father when it comes to military equipment and the things like that. He's just like, I'd never buy a Mitsubishi. And he's got a son that's buying a Toyota. And he likes it now. You know, I mean, you know, these type of things. But someone who lived through World War II. Um, there's a time for war. There's a time to heal. 
after World War II. You think about uh, the Marshall Plan where individuals came in that had once been enemies were working uh, to try and get that country back on its feet to West Germany in opposition to East Germany. Uh, and suddenly you had people who were enemies and shooting at one another that were now friends. And I find it greatly enjoyable to read stories of individuals who are on opposite sides of the war that at the end of their life are good friends. You know, they go and visit each other and that type of thing. You kind of go, that, that's unusual. But there are times to, time for war, time for defense, time to heal. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. You know, there's certain things that, you know, people build these houses and you think these things are going to last forever and then you realize, nope, we need to tear that down. Get rid of it. And so that sometimes is a portion of life where uh, the things that we initially built aren't really all impressive when we realize we have to tear them down. And we have in verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh. I can't remember directly, but there have been several occasions in my life where in one week, in fact, within a day or two of one another, I've had to go to the hospital and uh, be there uh, for the birth of a baby and then go someplace else and run a funeral. Now, you think about the one occasion, it's one of joy, and uh, then there's another occasion of weeping. Uh, And it could be within a few minutes of one another. You have that, the time uh, to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, and time to dance. And you understand that term in dance uh, is, uh, I always think of it this way, just think of uh, when a team wins a major event. How do you describe what are they doing out there? They're jumping around. They're looking for someone to hug. They are just so excited uh, at what's going on. And, And the culture back then, understand with David, he was described as dancing, and you go, what was he doing? He was so excited that the ark was getting to Jerusalem. It's like he's going from person to person and telling them, listen, the ark's coming to Jerusalem, God's dwelling in Jerusalem, and he's going from place to place, and they're having music and this type of thing, but it's, it's more of just activity that just shows great excitement. You find that uh, as being the case. There's a time In verse number five, to cast away stones, a time to gather stones. There are certain times where you're going, I wish, you know, in New England, this is the case. You you dig everything up and there's stones everywhere. And you're just like, I I don't want any more stones. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I need to gather stones up. And you go through New England, they've got these stone walls that are everywhere because, you know, you want to get rid of the stones and you're digging it out of your yard. But then you're like, you know what? This could be an effective barricade to, to mark off my property and, and do those type of things. And so there are times to cast away stones, time to gather stones, time to embrace, embrace a time to refrain from embracing. There are certain times where it's not a time where you're giving a person comfort. No, it's a time to kind of let them know there is a, a problem here. Or you have a time to get, there's time to purchase things, there's times to lose things. We probably could be more on the side of losing in our culture we got a lot of getting, gaining. We might think of that. It's good for us to lose weight and good to lose some of the possessions we have, uh, the dead weight that we carry around as far as possessions in life. A time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silent. Okay, it's okay for you to be introverted, and there's good times for you to be extroverted. 
to go out of your way to communicate with people. There's a good time to be quiet uh, and silent. There's other times where you need to talk. And that is uh, the case. And so then you get to verse 8, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. All of these are part of the human experience, but they are in time. And uh, when you get through this and uh, you have this uh, thing, and each one of the events is in God's own time, uh, Job, when he was talking to God about the things that had gone on and the events that occurred in his life, that Job made comment that a person's days are numbered and determined by the Creator and uh, the number of his months are with him. Let me get the exact quote on that because I'm not finding my copy of it. Job 14 verse 5 says this, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Basically talking about God, you've set up the boundaries, you've done all these things, and so life is really bounded by what God deems is a thing that we need. So we get done with this poem on time, and you just kind of go, okay, there's a time for everything, and it's in its place, and we just have to realize there are certain seasons where something's not going to be really a good idea, the other thing's going to be a good idea, and it may not be what we want, but we're going to have to do those things during that time. It's just the mercilessness sometimes of what we might say time. We have to do those things. So it it transitions at this point, and it goes from this poem to verses 10 through 15, where it's just an explanation. And we put it this way, the poem's application, because all of a sudden, you have this poem, and you might be frustrated by hearing it and going, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, Solomon steps in and goes, okay, let's look at it not just from under the sun, let's look at it from, you know, above the sun, Let's look at at a God perspective at what goes on with time uh, from outside uh, time and in eternity. In verse 10, it says this, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it, this back and forth that men have to labor through in life. Verse 11, he, referring to God, hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. shouldn't be viewed as something that's horrible, but it's a gift. Verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken away from it. God doeth it, and the men should fear before him. That which hath been been, is now, and that which is to be hath already been. God requireth that which is past. Basically says, you know, time flies. That which is future suddenly is past. And you find that the first statement is that God's timing is beautiful. And you go, uh, what do we mean by the fact of beautiful? Well, it's just simply this, is that it is well-ordered, it's harmonious, it pieces itself together, it's good. We might put it that way, but it really is the idea of beautiful is that everything 
has a time and a frame in our life that we need. And for some of us, you get older, you begin to look back, and you go, oh, well, that's, oh, okay, and if that hadn't, and if this bad thing hadn't, and this good thing hadn't, these things wouldn't have weaved together. And you begin to see a, a harmony a connectedness. It's not a random series of horrible events. No, there, there is a connectedness when it comes to time. And beyond that, if, if we really understand what's going on in our own soul and are contemplative of this, there is this element that we know in life that time isn't everything. The Verse there, verse 11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. He hath set the world in their heart. You might as well underline that because it's not the normal word for world. It's the word eternity. Okay, and some have said that that mankind has this hole in their life that only God can fill. And there is that element. People will find life frustrating without God. God is the peace that they need. But in the context of this, it's probably more than just saying that God is the peace that it needs to be filling, or that fills their life. It's that eternity is something that mankind understands that it goes on. It's always been there and it continues on. We're in this kind of framework of time. There's something beyond this life. There's something outside of time. And you go, what's that? Well, it's eternity. But we hope one day to be with God and enjoying eternity. God is a being that's outside of time. He's not bounded or limited by time. Uh, we look forward to being a part of eternity. And you go, can you describe how that works out in all the dimensions? No, I can't. But we're bounded by time. But we understand that there is this thing that's eternity where time doesn't really matter And God has put that in individuals' heart, that there's something beyond this life. And so that is where people begin to go, okay, there's something beyond the sun. Then you have this, mankind should enjoy what God gives. Here's that second uh, seize the day passage where it's simply saying that you ought to enjoy the good that God's given to you. Day in and day out, the bad things, the good things. You, you ought to just kind of go through this and realize this is what God's given to me. Thank him for what he's done and, and, and what he's accomplished in life. Enjoy the things that he has gifted you with and be thankful for them and live life, in re- not selfishly, but live life going, this is a life that God has given me. Why do I get so frustrated? Because he's piecing things together. Now, for us as believers, we had that passage last week that we looked at in Romans chapter 8 that talks about, and we know that all things work together for good, And you say, well, is that a passage for everyone? No, because it says this, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, that you as a believer, there is something going on in your life where God is doing something and it has a good purpose. We said the purpose is is that you're being conformed to his son. You're looking more and more like him and one day you'll have a body just like his. You'll see him and you'll see him because you are like him uh, as First uh, John begins to talk about uh, and these type of things. But you find that our goal in life is, well, not to just merely survive, but we go through life and realize that God has given us certain things and he brings certain events to make us look more like his son. 
And you go, okay, uh, the bad things here, what is God doing? Should I be so happy and clap my hands that I, you know, I just lost part of my bank account or uh, that uh, I've got to go to the hospital for a couple weeks uh, and I'm just going, this is so exciting. No, but there's this element where you're going, okay, God, God's doing something here. I'm not just s- sitting here going, oh, this is horrible. I can't, you know, two weeks of this, oh, the drudgery. Okay, well, what, what's God doing? What's God teaching me? Uh, and so mankind should enjoy what time God gives them, whether it's a season of mourning or a season of rejoicing. A time to break things down and working hard that way or to build something up. Whatever God's time is, we ought to enjoy it. But remember this, and this is the thing that will come up and it's the very end, Ecclesiastes 12, is gonna make this so very clear that, okay, enjoy life especially for young people. Enjoy life when you're young, when you got the strength of your youth. But remember, one day, you're going to have to stand before God. So what, what does this then do? I, I enjoy life and enjoy the things that God's given me, but I'm not going to overstep boundaries that I'm not supposed to because one day I'm going to have to give account for how I responded to the times that I had to God. And so if I go through life complaining, one day I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for all the complaining I did about the things he gave me. And you realize, okay, here's the one who's given me so much. He sent his son to die for me. Do I really want to have to just stand before him and give account of why I was that way? I mean, it's not going to change your eternity because Christ has secured your salvation, but I don't think we really want to have to give account for, yeah, okay, well, I didn't really use my time. I wasn't a profitable servant, a steward of the time you gave me. And that's what you are when it comes to time. You're merely a steward of what God is giving you. Time is a possession. And thus we could close with this idea as it is in this passage, uh, redeeming the time because the days are evil, and it's not just saying there, okay, everything's immoral and that type of thing. It's just this. Time is just going. You can't stop it whether you want it to or not. So what you need to do is think ahead and think about it in God's perspective about time and use it with some thought that, okay, this life is not just merely for the here and now and for me, but God's given it to me. How am I going to glorify God? How am I going to give him glory for the things that he's given to me? And how am I going to use this time that he's put me in right now to ultimately give him glory that one day I stand before him as my judge and be able to give an account? Lord, here's what I did with the gift of time you gave to me, the good times, the bad times, the difficult times. And that's our responsibility. Our times are set. It's our responsibility to respond correctly that these are gifts from God and for us to respond in a way that is glorifying to Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, the reminder of this uh, as we once again move to another part of our day and another service. Uh, may we realize that day in and day out, the things that You give us are gifts May we function and live life as time being a gift from you and not be so upset with what you've given to us, but respond in a way that brings glory to you. In times of mourning, that you get our glory. 
and in times where things are going well, that we remember you. That's oftentimes the problem. We forget you in good times. So Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us to use this gift that weaves back and forth in different ways and shapes and form and use it to glorify you. And this we pray in the name of the Son. Amen.